Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 49, recorded Sunday, January 3rd, 2021. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Happy New Year, everyone, and thank you for listening to Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Well, we made it through 2020, and it's a brand new year with many hopes and aspirations. 2021 also represents the start of my third year of Scuba Shack Radio. I started the podcast in March of 2019. I decided now that I'll call each year a new season. I guess I can do that. So this is the first episode of 2021 and is the start of Season 3. I had little idea that I'd get this far way back then. As I kick off Season 3, I have no plans of slowing down. We are also kicking off a very busy January at the shop. We have our staff meeting this Tuesday night, a virtual open house on Thursday. We'll have a private open water class over the weekend, our equipment specialist class, followed by our scuba technician course, and we'll close out the month with a group open water class and a paddy professional night. Feels like we're starting out 2021 very strongly. On today's show, I'm going to talk a little bit about maintaining your buoyancy compensator. I'll also introduce you to Oceanographic Magazine, and then we'll have another installment of Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive, where we'll go to the point of no return. So let's start Season 3 of Scuba Shack Radio. Our scuba equipment takes us into a fascinating world. Doing that giant stride off the boat into the ocean and slowly descending on either a tropical reef or a wall or maybe a wreck is an incredible experience. If we want to have a great experience, we need to ensure that our scuba equipment is ready to go and operating properly. We've talked about equipment upkeep on previous episodes. Whether it be your regulator or your tanks or your tank valves, we need to make sure they're cleaned, regularly serviced, and maintained. One piece of equipment that we haven't talked about yet is your buoyancy compensating device, or BCD, and sometimes it's shortened to just BC, or buoyancy compensator. Now, it doesn't matter if you have a traditional jacket style or a backplate and wing with or without integrated weights there are steps you should take to ensure that your BCD is ready to dive when you are. First off, we need to take care of the bladder. When we dive, it is very common, if not inevitable, that water gets inside the bladder. Fresh water is not that big a deal as long as we drain it out of the BC. 
but salt water can be problematic if we don't get it out of the bladder. Over time, that salt water will eventually evaporate and you can be left with salt crystals, and these crystals could be sharp. Sharp crystals could result in putting a small hole in the bladder. I've seen these salt crystals and removed them from BCs. It is extremely important that you rinse your bladder after diving, especially if you've been in the salt water. After rinsing, make sure that you completely drain uh, the rinse water from the BCD. I like to then take off my dump valve or OPV to allow the bladder to dry out, and then once it's dried out in a couple of days, I'll button it back up, inflate it to make sure that it holds air. Once you're sure it's dried out and it holds air, you can deflate it and then rest assured that your bladder is clean, holding air, and ready for your next dive. One of the things that you want to make sure is clean and operable is that OPV. If you've taken off the dump valve, check, check the spring for any signs of corrosion and then look at the seal to make sure that it's in, in good shape and then carefully replace it. Again, you want to make sure that it operates properly after you've put it back on. Another area of concern is the low pressure inflator. These can easily get gunked up if they are not completely rinsed of any salt residue. Also, there, is, there very easily could have been some tiny grains of sand that somehow get in there. It's really amazing how prolific sand can be and the time and effort that it takes to really get rid of it. If you don't ensure that you've thoroughly rinsed the low-pressure inflator, the next time you pull it out, you could be faced with a problem. Either the button doesn't depress, or in some cases, the valve sticks open and your BC fills. And that's not a good thing if you're at depth. Velcro on the BC can also get fouled. Whether it be on the tank bands, cummerbunds, or pockets, all that stuff that gets attracted to the Velcro can degrade its holding capability. Take some time to check out your Velcro and clean it up. Sometimes you might have to use a soft scrub brush to lightly remove that unwanted material. I want to touch on one more area that you should check out, and that's all the buckles. These are primarily a plastic material that can crack or break easily, especially when your gear is piled up at the end of the dive. Take a look and make sure that they are all still intact and operable when you're cleaning up your gear. I'm not going to go into any more detail at this point, but want to stress that after diving, when you're cleaning up your BC is a good time to make sure that it's ready for when you're going to go diving next. I recently experienced that as I was cleaning my BC after an open water certification dive. As I had it in the cleaning barrel and filled it with air, I noticed a small stream of bubbles. Somehow, the internal bladder got a pinhole in it perhaps because of the way I had put it in the van prior to leaving the dive site. In any case, I was able to find the problem when cleaning up so that, I could, so that it could be corrected for our next dive the following weekend. Too often, the BC tends to get neglected. Make sure you take some time to properly maintain it, and don't forget that your local dive shop is a great way to get it properly serviced for the upcoming dive season.
Normally, during the second segment of each show, I try to focus on a subject related to ocean health and sustainability. Today, that discussion is going to lead me to a magazine, Oceanographic Magazine. Now, I first encountered Oceanographic Magazine from the Project Aware website. On their website, Project Aware indicated that you could get a free digital subscription if you were a supporter of Project Aware. Well, for some reason, I never pursued signing up for that subscription until a few weeks ago. More to come on that in a few minutes. So let's talk a bit about what Oceanographic Magazine is. It's billed as a bi-monthly marine lifestyle magazine with a focus on ocean conservation, exploration, and adventure. They are currently up to issue number 16, and the first issue came out in May 2018. The magazine is published in the United Kingdom by CXD Media Limited. It looks like CXD Media actually started out as Atlas Publishing in 2017, and only recently changed their name to CXD Media Limited in February of 2020. The editor of Oceanographic Magazine and the principal of CXD is Will Harrison. I couldn't find out a whole lot more about the company. The magazine website does indicate that they donate 20% of their annual profits to marine conservation charities. The The magazine has key partnerships with Project Aware and the Blue Sphere Foundation. Blue Sphere Foundation is a nonprofit organization out of New York City. If you go to their website, their tagline is Save Our Ocean Where Life Begins. It's a foundation that works to safeguard the planet's oceans. Oceanographic Magazine also partners with Crew Clothing Company. Apparently, the magazine is sold in their retail stores where two British pounds is donated for every magazine that is sold in the store. Now let me come back to that free subscription with Project Aware. Well, it wasn't exactly what I expected. I filled out the online form as directed and wasn't sure what to expect. Well, I had to reach out to them by email to try and figure out how to get access. Well, I did get a message back from them, and and they said that they are in the process of reevaluating their partnerships affiliation in 2021. So I'm only left to think that they are not going to be providing that free digital subscription. I was not able to access issue number 16. But let's talk a little more about the magazine. It's pretty high-end. Each edition is 116 pages long with minimal advertising. Actually, only 16 pages of advertising is allocated with 100 pages dedicated to editorial content. The advertising is pretty exclusive. In issue 15, when you open up the cover, there is a two-page ad for Omega Watches featuring Victor Vescovo of the Five Deep Expedition. The first several pages feature some fantastic images like green sea turtles, pygmy seahorses, Galapagos sharks, and humpback whales. The rest of the magazine is full of very readable articles with great photography. So if you're into magazines, and particularly a magazine with a purpose, you should seriously consider getting Oceanographic Magazine. 
Personally, I haven't tripped the trigger yet on a subscription. I'd really like to get the physical copy. It's not cheap at 40 pounds sterling for six issues or approximately $55. That's clocking in at about $9.16 per issue or thereabouts. Also, when you look at subscribing to the physical copy, I'm not sure if you get charged an additional shipping fee. When you look at the digital subscription, you'll be taken to ISSUU, which is a media distribution clearinghouse, and you can get access there for about $6.75 an issue, and you'll have immediate access just not the intimacy of a physical copy that I like. I'll be interested to see what they do with the free subscription through Project Aware, although it sounds unlikely. So that's a little bit of information on Oceanographic Magazine, a high-end publication dedicated to ocean conservation, exploration, and adventure. It's time for another installment of Sea Hunt, It's Still Alive. And this time we are going to Season 4, Episode 1, titled Point of No Return. And it premiered on January 7, 1961, 60 years ago. The episode starts out with a boat pulling up alongside a Coast Guard cutter. The boat is dropping off a reporter, Dorothy Maybrook. She has heard that Mike Nelson is on board and figures there must be a big story if he's involved. The captain of the cutter tells Dottie that she'll have to wait three days to talk to Mike. The research is about Mike living and working out of the scuba sphere at 250 feet. Now that was right at the beginning of the work that the Navy, Jacques Cousteau, and Ed Link were doing on underwater habitats. So Sea Hunt was a little ahead of the game. After Dottie gets some basic information from the three scientists on board the cutter, the scene shifts to Mike underwater. He's in doubles, swimming with a big bag of rocks, and he's going inside the scuba sphere. The scuba sphere is a small diving bell-shaped habitat with liquid helium and oxygen tanks racked out. Once Mike is inside, he gets a call from the boat. Lieutenant Tully tells him that a tropical storm is heading their way. Well, rather than haul him up, it seems that Mike is going to ride it out. So, he strings up his hammock, gets ready for bed, and gets into the sack. And because he says he can't raid the refrigerator like he normally does, he settles for a bottle of liquid protein. Well, you guessed it, the big storm hits. And as the cutter is tossed about, so is the scuba sphere. Suddenly, one of the tanks secured to the side of the sphere breaks loose and crashes down on the hatch, rendering it inoperable. Mike can't fix it, and now they can't bring him up and properly decompress. 
The project engineer, Vic Jennings, says it will take a day to make a new hatch. Should they cut him loose? No, they try to get him off the bottom and ride it out. But the scuba sphere is being dragged and it gets caught on a coral formation at 250 feet. Mike gears up with his doubles and he has some additional small tanks between the double cylinders. Not sure what they are, but there's copper tubing uh, spiraling up to the valves on his cylinders. Looks like kind of like a still. Maybe it's helium. They never really say. As the sphere breaks free, Mike rides it along until the cable and telephone connections part. And luckily, the scuba sphere settles on the bottom in an upright position so Mike can go back inside. And he says that he needs to spend his second night in this chamber of horrors. I gotta tell you, Mike's wetsuit looks pretty beat up in this episode. Starting to peel or something like that. Well, now the storm has passed. The cutter realizes that Mike is no longer attached. They have a new door, but now they have to find a habitat. Mike goes outside and tries to inflate one of his marker buoys, but it won't work at eight atmospheres. So he takes out a balloon, blows it up a bit, ties it off to a line, and sends it up. Well, you guessed it, it bursts. Now, he reverts to filling up a pair of denim jeans tied off at the bottom. I remember this from my time in the Navy, where you could use your pants as a type of life preserver. Well, Mike sends the inflated pants to the surface. They briefly mark the location before collapsing. But Lieutenant Tully thought he saw something, so they stay in the area. Back inside the scuvasphere, Mike says that he needs to conserve air and pray. Then he remembers something from his Cub Scout days and concocts a plan to use his wetsuit top as a surface marker buoy. He goes back outside, fills it up, and shoots it to the surface and then ties it off to the scuba sphere. On the cutter, Dottie and everyone are intently scanning the surface. Suddenly, Dottie spots the wetsuit top. Well, the next thing we see is Mike Nelson, sans wetsuit top, at 250 feet, dragging a new hatch, cable, and telephone line across the bottom. He fixes the hatch, attaches the cable, and splices in the telephone. It's cold, wet work, he says, and he's ready to rejoin the human race. Mike gets back inside, he hits the hammock, and sleeps through the hours of his decompression. They have to bang on the sphere to wake him up. Once Mike opens the hatch, up pops Dottie to give him a big hug. Mike says he must be in heaven because this is the angel he's been dreaming about. Well, to the best of my knowledge, this is the only episode that Dottie Mayfield was in, although it appears that from the dialogue from Mike that Dottie was intent on marrying Mike Nelson, or as, as he puts it, put a ring through his nose. Dorothy Mayfield was played by the actress Joyce Meadows. Well, there wasn't a lot of diving in the point of no return, but Mike Nelson was well ahead of the likes of George Bond, Jacques Cousteau, and Ed Link in deep sea saturation habitation. 
Wow, you never know what Mike Nelson will be getting into next. Stay tuned for more. I just want to again thank everyone for listening to Scuba Shack Radio and wish everyone a happy new year. Hope you enjoyed this first episode of Season 3. Please consider giving the show a rating on your favorite podcast application or subscribe there where you'll get notified of new episodes as they are available. Until next time, be safe and take care. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time.